I am excited about this next season and phase as we head into as a church, but I'm also excited for you guys personally. So we're starting a, a series this week just called Refocus. And it's going to be three weeks of really talking about what we're wanting to refocus in on as a church, but really it's something that I think can play a big part in your life of things that it's giving you opportunities and areas to refocus on. Um, I think that if you feel like maybe you've hit a wall in your life, or maybe you're just not sure what next direction, that this series could really be something that you look back on and say, man, that made a big difference and a big impact on just a turning point in my life. And in a season that I was in, I really paid attention. I really soaked in the teaching of God's word and it made a humongous impact on my life. So I want to encourage you as we're in this series, take notes. Okay, take notes. And maybe you're not a note taker. Be a picture snapper. They're on the screen. But I'm going to hit you just like with, it'll feel like fire hose full of notes and biblical verses and all kinds of stuff. And I want you to lean in, pay attention, um, take notes. What I'm going to teach you guys in this series, I've put into practice in my own life. And it's been transformative to me. And I think it can do the same thing for you. But before we jump in, there's going to be a word that's going to be used over the next two or three weeks a lot. And I want to help define what I mean when I'm saying this word. And the word is simply just the word vision. And this word is going to be used a lot. And I think it's important what, before I start saying this, you understand what I'm meaning when I say that. Because you could go on Google and look up the word vision and there's 164 million meanings and things that people are teaching. But there's three that I really want us to focus on. And then I'm going to be talking about as we talk through this. So three things that vision is. And the first one is this. Vision is the ability for us to understand and align ourselves with God's will. It's the ability for us to understand and align ourselves with God's will. And I believe when we understand God's will, everything's going to become clearer for us. Everything becomes more in focus when we understand God's will. This is a foundation and this is what we're going to spend some time on today. But number two. Vision is the ability to see both a preferred future and maintain a present focus. So vision is the ability to see out far in the distance, but also understand that there's steps I have to take in the now. It's kind of that bridge between the action now and the, the goal in the future. It's a discontent, even sometimes it's a holy, a godly discontent with how things are right now, but I believe something better is in the distance, but I know that I've got to take steps in the present. The third one is, really important. Vision is action. So vision is a mental state with a corresponding action. Vision without action is just a dream. And a dream, if it happens long enough, without any action turns into a nightmare. I don't know if you've known anybody who's had an idea, they've had a dream, they've had some kind of a thing that they even feel God put on their heart and it just sits there and they never actually take action. That dream becomes a nightmare for them because they never walked it out. So vision is taking that thing that God has given to you and actually putting action steps to it. And today, we're going to talk some about this word. And I'm going to begin this series looking at, there's a, a main text every time preachers get up and they talk about vision, they use this text. And we're going to talk about this text a little bit. We're going to talk about how sometimes it's misused and mishandled. We're going to get some clarity to it. And I'm going to give you guys some action steps and some things that I want you to walk away with. But we're going to start in Proverbs 29, 18, and I'm going to go old school because if you ever heard this verse, you probably heard it in the King James Version. So Proverbs 29, 18 is this, where there is no vision, the people 
perish. And this is the main passage. This is the main scripture. When, when preachers get up and they're going to talk vision, they go to this one. Where there is no vision, the people perish. And they get people excited and they send you off into Neverland to go dream up dreams. Sometimes they send you off because what they really want is you to write a big check because there's some kind of building they want to build. And they use this verse of where there is no vision. The people perish. And when they say perish, what it usually means is you live in some kind of average mundane and you don't accomplish, you know, some, some idea that's out in the distance. And we use this verse a lot of times as preachers to get our point across. And I'm going to age myself just a little bit. But there's a movie, The Princess Bride. No, oh, maybe I'm not. And in this movie, there's a character, Inigo Montoya. And at one point he says, you keep using that word. But I do not think it means what you think it means. And as pastors and as preachers, we keep using this word vision. We keep going to this scripture. And every time I hear it, I want to say to them, I do not think this means what you think it means. And here's, let me teach you for a minute. Let me go to the Bible and actually just teach a little bit today. So I've, maybe the reason I think Proverbs 29:18 is misunderstood is most of us know it in this King James Version. And I want us to look at a couple other versions to make it a little bit more clear. The NIV says, where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. The ESV says, where there is no prophetic vision, people cast off restraint. The word vision here does not refer to your personal dreams. The word vision here does not refer to your personal goals. The word vision here is not something that you get a big board and you put all these pictures on it and then you just say, God, do this, bless this thing. That is not what this is talking about here. This is not what this is speaking about here. It doesn't mean speaking into, an ex speaking into existence a dream that you've come up with. The word vision in this text actually is talking about God's viewpoint. And it's talking about surrendering to his viewpoint. And the reason that sometimes we get it wrong is because we don't teach the whole verse. See, the verse doesn't end there. It doesn't say without vision the people perish and then just, that's it. We got to read the second half to actually show us the full view of what this is. It says, where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. But blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. The other version says, blessed is the one who keeps the law. What God is saying is where there's no vision, people cast off restraint. But there's a transition that anchors the first line of that verse to the second line of that verse. And it, the whole thing makes a complete thought. It says, blessed is the one who heeds, who obeys, who actually does the thing. So it's talking about God has a plan and a vision. And then it says, it's our duty to walk that out. Not our own plan, but God's plan. And he has plans for us. It's our duty to understand what those are and then to walk them out. It's not our duty to come up with our own dream and idea. It's our duty to submit to God's dream and idea for us. And that's what this is talking about. It's, it was speaking to the, to the nation and saying, hey, Israel, God has a vision and a plan. And part of that plan is obeying his commands and his law. For us, this, this still applies to us. God has a vision for us, but we've got to submit and surrender to God's plans. This verse is less about expressing our personal plans and more about surrendering to God's. 
And what it's saying is the more I understand and obey God, the clearer I will be able to see. The more you submit to God, the clearer you'll be able to see. And even more importantly, when we say that people will perish, this doesn't just mean that you'll flounder around in an average life. That's how we use this verse a lot. This is way more significant and dire than this. This is a warning that without God, we're lost. It's a warning that my perspective is lost without God. My hope is lost without God. My soul is lost when I don't have God's vision for my life. But when I understand who I am, when I understand who God says I am, when I understand where God's leading me, I can see a lot more clearly. So, this word though, it says when people don't see that, when people don't have God's understanding, when they don't know who they are, it says they cast off restraint. So when people lose God's viewpoint, they, what this means is they do whatever feels good in the moment because they've lost an eternal perspective. God's viewpoint is always eternal. It's always, it's always this eternal viewpoint. But when we lose that viewpoint, we start living just in the moment. And that can be a scary place because it's important for us to live in the moment and with God's viewpoint, but it's scary to live in the moment to please myself. That gets us into trouble. That's casting off restraint and saying, I'm going to do whatever I want that makes me feel good. But that person eventually has the light of reality that hits them. A person that is just running from here to there, living busy life, looking like they have a lot of vision for their life, but it's very temporary. All of a sudden, the light hits them and they're like a deer stuck in headlights. Now we're in Kentucky. So I'm sure y'all have driven some dark roads at night and you see on the side of the road, those deer and the headlights hit them and they just, you see that glazed over look and they've got one of two choices. They're going to just stay there or the dumb ones are going to jump out and get hit. And if you've not, right by our church, there's a whole family of deer and I'm going to kill Bambi one morning and it's going to be a horrible day when I come to church. <laughs> Somebody's clapping. They're like, yes, <laughs> don't clap for me hitting deer. But a deer, think about it, it's just, it's, it's jumping from place to place, it's grazing, but all of a sudden the light hits it and it's got that kind of glazed over look. And a lot of times as humans, we live the same way. People in the church live the same way. They go to church, they go to work, they go to school, they keep their lives busy jumping around from here to there, but all of a sudden reality hits them and it's like, oh, uh-oh, what happens? And we don't want to fear missing out. So we just keep ourselves busy and replace submission to God's vision and we replace it with busyness. So instead of submitting to God's vision, we just stay really busy and full of activity. And without God's vision, we do things like this. We spend thousands of dollars on schooling without actually asking God if that's what he wants us to do. Without God's plan and vision, we start jobs, we buy houses, we start relationships with ever actually consulting God. Without ever going to God and saying, God, is this line up with your word? Is this what you want me to do? We go into making these huge decisions without going to God. Let me tell you, that's not a good way to live. That's not a good place to be. As a church, we're determined to not do that. You know, we've been 
thinking about this relaunch and some of the things that we want to bring. And it's been bathed in prayer and scripture. It's all founded there. It's been talked through with people that are wiser than us because we don't want to just say, this is an idea I have, let's do it. We want to say, this is God's plan. Let's walk it out with him. So the apex of true vision is when you begin to see your life through God's lens. And if we want to refocus, if we want to really understand the purpose for what we have, we have to spend time with God. You know, that's why we just got through a a series on prayer, because prayer is a major way that you spend time with God. It's a significant way that you can spend time with God. And we talked about how there's times even scripture reading is a form of prayer because you're saying, God, I want you to speak to me through your word. But I think there's a problem sometimes when it comes to spending time with God. It's that we never actually pause to hear what God wants to say to us. So a lot of us, we may even say a prayer in the morning, say a quick prayer, way to go. But we never pause to say, God, is there something you want to nudge me towards? Is there something you're saying to me? We may open our Bible and we may have a Bible reading plan on our phone. Maybe we have a scripture a day. Then we read that thing and we do the the good discipline, but we never pause and say, God, what are you trying to show me in this scripture? We never allow the time for God to actually speak. We have a one-way relationship. Try that with a friend. Take a friend out, have coffee, talk a bunch, and then say, peace out, that was good, and then just walk away. You're not going to be friends with that person very long. Try that. If you're married, try that with a spouse, with a texting relationship. Like, text them a bunch of stuff, and then when they text you, just leave them on read and text again. If I did that to my wife, Melanie would be calling me within 10 seconds, and I better be answering the phone, because that's not a good relationship. We've got to make space in our lives to say, God, I'm ready to hear whatever you have to say. And God wants to give us direction. He wants to say, here's what my plan is for you. But what he's saying is, I can't even get a minute on your schedule to actually you to be quiet and listen. He says, I won't speak over the program of your life. He says, I I can't speak to you in the car because your music is too loud. He's saying, you know, I I can't be with you during the day because you're busy at work or you're scrolling on social media. I can't be with you when you come home because you've got a a family and a busy life and I'm not going to shout over Netflix and the football game and you won't wake up early enough in the morning to hear me and God's not going to shout because God talks in a whisper. And if we don't stop, we're never going to hear what he has to say because he might give us direction. Go apply for that job. You know what? You sing really well. You should join the worship team. But there's a reason he speaks in a whisper because he wants us to lean in and pay attention. And I think more of us need to actually just pause for a few minutes. And we just need to pause and just sit in silence and say, God, I've read scripture today. What is it that you want me to see in this? God, I'm praying today. What is it that you want me to get from you? Because we can't hear our voice because we just don't stop. Sometimes the best prayer, guys, is just not saying anything. Sometimes the best prayer is just not saying anything. It's just saying, I'm going to sit here for a few minutes. And you may start that discipline. And you know what? You sit there for a few minutes like, I didn't feel anything. Just keep the discipline going. Just keep doing it. Sit still for a little while. 
And when we begin to understand God's plan and vision, there's a couple things that I think it's going to help us with. When we refocus on what God has, there's some things that'll happen. Refocusing on God's plan and walking out his vision, it'll give you more confidence. It really will. It'll give you more confidence. Depending on God gives you more confidence. If you've ever seen someone that's really confident and they know where they're going, especially if they're following God's plan, it's not cockiness. They just know where God's leading them. They have a confidence. I don't know if you've ever driven with somebody that knows, like you go to a big city and maybe you're the person that's, you've got the phone out and you're getting lost and you know someone that lives there. They've been around they just, they got the confidence. They know where they're supposed to be going. They know the back roads. They know the shortcuts. We need to have the confidence. That I've been through some stuff with God. I've read scripture. I've heard from him. I know where he's taken me. And it's not always going to be easy, but I have confidence that he's going to direct my path. Yeah. Hebrews 13, 6 says this. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Wow, that's the kind of confidence that I want. That I can say, I can get through anything because what can people do to me? I've got God on my side. That's the kind of vision and confidence that I want us to have. But it takes us refocusing on God's plan, not just coming up with our own. It's God's plan that gives us strength. It's God's word that gives us strength. And we can pull off some amazing things on our own. You see it all around society. People that don't have God can do some incredible things, but those things are not eternal. Those things will not last. Those things are just temporary. They're going to fade away. But God's plans are things that he has for us that are long-term. So second thing, refocusing on God's plan will keep you from falling into the comparison trap. Comparison is a trap that the enemy wants to put us in, guys. Comparison is the thing that he wants us to look at other people and be envious he wants us to look at other people and sometimes be like, man, why can't I measure up? He wants us to look at other people, the enemy does, and say, wow, I'm so much better than this person. And if we actually have God's vantage point, if we're refocusing on what God wants, we are less likely to fall into that comparison trap. Because what we learn to say is, I know where God's directing me. And I'm glad that they have this thing. I'm glad their house is like this. I'm glad that their family is like this. But that's not what God has called me to. Because I've got confidence in God leading in his direction. So I'm not comparing myself anymore. Churches do this all the time. I'm about to take some of our team to a, to a conference. And church conferences are some of the weirdest things in the world. Because you get a bunch of pastors that are walking around basically comparing each other and I'm, I'm not playing that game. Like, I'm not. I remember we used to go to, when I was a kid's pastor, you go to these, like, children's ministry conferences. And one of the first questions pastors always ask is about your size. How, how many of you running? How big is your church? How many kids are in your ministry? And I've been in some ministry, kids' ministries that are two to three times the size of this church. But when somebody would ask me that, I'd always say, I got one blind kid. His name's Bobby, but he loves Jesus. I would just throw out like, and they'd look at me like, what? Because <laughs> I'm not playing that game. And I want you to know, as we lead our church forward, we're not going to play the comparison game. We're going to say, here's the confidence that God has put in this place, which means this is what God has called us to. They may be doing that ministry and praise God, we're going to pray for them, but maybe that's not where God is leading us. 
And a lot of churches right now are falling into this thing where they just copy everyone else. I don't want to just copy everyone else because God has given us a specific purpose. Let's figure out what it is and let's walk it out together. So as we lead our church and as you lead yourself, don't fall in the comparison trap. It doesn't mean that you can't learn and glean from other people, but don't try to become that person. Don't try to judge yourself by that person or live up to who they are. Same thing as a church. And we're going to a conference to learn, but I'm not going to become that church. I don't want to become that church. I want to glean some things and just continue to be who God has called us to be. So those are two things that'll, that having godly vision will help us with. It'll keep us confident. It'll keep us from comparing. Now I want to get really, really practical. I want to get super practical for us. These are a few things that I think if we'll actually take this, take this and apply it, it can make a big difference in our life. We've talked about this overarching thing kind of called vision, but there's some areas in our life that have great importance. I kind of like to call them tension areas and not tension because they're hard, but tension that we need to get them right. Like we need to focus in on them. We need to have a plan for them. We need to go to God for these areas. And there's lots of them and there's more than even the ones I'm going to go through. But these are a few tension areas that I think all of you deal with. And as we're praying over our church and where God is leading us, these are a few areas that I've really been seeking God. God, where do you want our church to be in these specific spots? And as we give them to you, I want to remind you the first step is always have a vision from God. Go to God. Seek Him first. And I want you to learn as you Begin to ask God, what do you want me to focus on? Where do you want to lead me? Learn to see vision through three different lenses, okay? First one is this. You want to go telescope, binoculars, glasses. Telescope is big outside of you. This is God. I'm going to seek God first. I'm going to go to the telescope. I'm going to say, here's the lens I first want to see through. It's God's lens. It's way bigger than mine. When I see it, sometimes I'm in awe and wonder because I can't believe God is saying that this is who he is and this is what he has for me. Go to that lens first. The second lens is that binoculars lens. It's the one that can see far out in the distance. And I want you to think, what do I want to look like 10 years from now? What do I want, how, where do I want to be in these areas I'm about to list? That's that binoculars distance. But you can't stay there because we just talked about it. A dream without any kind of a plan turns into a nightmare because it always just feels like you're in the distance. And then the last one you need is you need some glasses. That's your up close type of view. Like I've told you guys before, I'm about blind. If I don't have these contacts in, I can't see anything. And some of us, we need those glasses that allow us to see what's next in my life. If God's putting together a book, he's the one that's, he's that telescope. He's got the big view. We need to think of what are the chapters and every day, what's the new page I'm writing? What's the new page I'm writing? And does it all fit in to what God's trying to design in my life? So here's these four areas that I think we need to plan for. You need a vision for your spiritual growth. You need a vision for your spiritual growth. That means your closeness with Christ, your devotion to Jesus. You need a vision for this. You need a plan for this. I like to say this, but I'm not trying to offend anybody. Just because you're older doesn't mean you all of a sudden have grown spiritually. Age does not equate spiritual growth. I know some 65-year-olds, 70-year-olds that are very spiritually immature. 
And I've been here on a student's night and seen some 16-year-olds that they may be mentally still chaotic and crazy, but the things that they're spiritually discussing and seeking and talking about, I'm like, there's a different level of maturity there. So spiritual maturity is something that we can all grow in. It doesn't happen just because you got older. It doesn't happen by accident. We are called to follow Christ, which means we daily have to continue to walk that out. So I'm going to give you each of these four areas. I want to give you a grounding verse and a challenge. And a grounding verse is like a filter. Sometimes we can look at a verse and say, this is my filter for this area and I'm actually doing this thing. Is it, am I actually seeing the, my life through this grounding verse, through this filter? So as we're talking about spiritual growth, here's a great grounding verse. You can come up with your own. You can search through scripture, but 2 Peter 1, 5 through 9. It says, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, to goodness knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness mutual affection, to mutual affection love. For you, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins." There's a whole list of things that you could grow in in there. You could just look into that verse and say, okay, um, where do I need to grow in this area? Maybe I need to grow in self-control. Maybe I need to grow in personal, uh, mutual affection towards other people. I'm not showing enough love to others. And you just look at this verse and you say, God, because I don't need to seek out some crazy vision of my own. God's given us one right here in his word. He's saying, here's how you can grow spiritually. And he gives us a whole list of things. You could go to Galatians, you could look at the fruit of the Spirit, and you could say, am I growing in love and joy and patience and peace? And you could go find a spot where God has already spoken and say, I need to grow spiritually. And how am I measuring up to the vision that God has already for me? It's not something that I have to magically conjure up. It's in His Word. It's in Scripture. And as you read that, ask yourself, what area can I grow in? What specific space there can I get better in? You all know yourself for the most part. You know if you're rude or the person next to you should tell you, okay? You know if you struggle with pride. You know if maybe you, it's, hey, I got to watch my language. And maybe it's, I'm not talking like cuss words, but the way I speak to people can be harsh. It, we know those areas where we can grow in. And we need to actually start having a vision for what that could look like if we lived it better. We need to go to God and say, God, how can I do this? How can I grow in this area? A lot of us, we blame some of our stuff on just, that's just who I am. That's just my personality. I did that before in the past. Man, I'm naturally just reserved, introverted, and can be a little grumpy at sometimes. And God said, that is not an excuse to stay that way. You need to grow spiritually in those areas. You need to put a smile on your face, make some friends, and get out there. This is not... You don't just get to blame, well, this is just who I am. No, there's a whole list of things that God just wrote in those, those verses we read that he says, continue to grow in this. Or at the end it says, or basically you've lost vision for what I have for you. You're nearsighted and blind. Yeah. So let's come and say, what is it, God, that you want for me? As a church, guys, we're talking through these areas and we as a church want to grow spiritually. You know, I, 
When I get up here to preach, it's not just, oh, what do I want to talk about this week? I've got a plan. I've got a thought. You know, we started with Philippians. You know why we started with Philippians? Because I'm like, I'm leading into a church that needs to experience some joy. They've been through some hard things. And God, what is it that you want to speak and how can you speak? Let's go to Philippians because it talks all about joy. And we were telling jokes and being goofy up here. But it was because we knew here's how we spiritually together need to grow. So as we lead forward as a church, we're, we're always in the back of our mind. What can we give you guys to help you grow spiritually? For instance, beginning next year, we're going to take a huge chunk of time going through the book of Matthew. Because we, one of our statements we're going to be saying a lot is Jesus is our message. And if Jesus is our message, then we better see what Jesus said and how he lived. In that though, like we're going to have, we're going to have little mini series about mental health, singleness, marriage and parenting, because all of those are areas that we know you guys need to spiritually grow in. And so do we as a team. We're going to take your prayer cards more seriously. When we get those written, we're going to figure out ways to follow up to open up our building so that more care can take place. So that people feel like they're growing spiritually, not just on their own, but they're being empowered by a church that loves them. So we're taking spiritual growth seriously as well. So here's my practical challenge for you to grow spiritually. We talked about this already, but this week specifically, spend five minutes a day in just total silence. And say, God, if you want to talk to me, talk to me. Just speak. Maybe it's you read scripture and then just close it. Say, okay, God, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to think about what I just read for five minutes. And like I said, you may not have some magical thing happen. That's not usually how it works. But a lot of times what you feel and where God shows up is there's just a peace that settles in. There's a joy that settles in. Sometimes he does give you a little nudge. Like, you know that person that you've been seeing every day that you order coffee from? Invite him to church. So just sit for a minute. Five minutes a day this week and just say, God, I'm leaving room for you to speak of how you want me to grow spiritually. Number two, you need a vision for your home life. Here's a great kind of filter verse for this. Colossians 3.15 says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Wherever you dwell, that's your home. It could be the house you own. It could be an apartment you rent. Some of you guys are younger. It's a, or, or maybe you're, you're staying with a, a roommate. It might be just a room that you're, you're in. But you've all got a dwelling place. You've all got a home. And I read that verse, Colossians 3.15, and I think to myself, man, I would, who wouldn't want a home that has a heart of peace and gratitude? Like who wouldn't want a home that feels peaceful and thankful? It's the type of home that I want but I think no matter what verse that you kind of find is this is the kind of home that I want. The next question, God would say, okay, what are you doing to make it actually a reality? What are you doing to take steps to actually have a vision for what God wants for your home? Some of us don't have any kind of idea or a plan or a thought of what we want our home life to be like. And so all we are left with is sometimes chaos. And a lot of us sometimes will just even try to avoid being at home because it doesn't feel like a place of peace and comfort. And being at home can make us miserable. And the truth is, sometimes we can't control all of that, but you can control something. So you've got to decide, 
Maybe I live at a home and I'm in a season where it is a little chaotic, but what can I control? God, what is the thing that I can do? God, can, how can I be peaceful and thankful even in this space? And I would say you need to create an atmosphere that just allows God to be present. You need to change some things up. Maybe you need to let some sunshine in, guys. Like open the blinds, sweep something. Maybe your house stinks, like light a candle, do something. Put on some worship music. Change the environment up. Let it be conducive to the thing you're trying to create. You are the person that's creating the culture there. I would say, what, what are you watching in your house? What are you spending time watching? And this isn't, again, I'm not here for you to compare to me or me to compare to you, but you've got to say, God, is this actually what you want me to be listening to? Is this actually what you want me to be watching? And then don't just dismiss it. If God says, I'm okay with that, great. If God says no, then you need to take a step to live differently. So here's my challenge for you. I want you to create a home that's got an atmosphere for growth in life. And sometimes the first step is just getting rid of some stuff. It's just a little bit of decluttering. So start by clearing out some clutter. Get rid of some stuff. Stop doing something. It seems like such a little simple step. The scripture talks about this a lot. But this little simple step of somebody just saying, I'm going to get rid of this. And teenagers, this is not your time to go get rid of stuff that you don't like in your house that you don't own. Do not do that spouses. This is not the time to say, I hate that shirt that he always wears. I'm getting, no, it's not your stuff. Okay. Clear out the closet that has a bunch of junk in it. You've got a junk drawer full of stuff that you never use. Just declutter a little bit and it'll, it just, for some reason, even that little bit gives you a different sense of ownership and peace in your home. So do that. As a church, we've been decluttering a lot of things. We've been like they started just slapping up paint in different rooms because like this thing needs just a fresh love and a fresh coat because your home is created by the culture that you allow to happen. Every home has a culture. It's either dysfunctional or it's not. It's toxic or it's healthy. Every home has a culture. Think about going to your grandma's house. Or maybe another family member that you know and you walk in and it's got a culture. It's got a smell. Maybe they've got the plastic on the furniture. I don't know what your grandma was like. My grandma's house always smelled like wood-burning fireplace and like gun smoke. There was always guns on the wall. That was my grandma's house. She had a culture. But what do you want your house to be like, feel like, look like? What's, what's that vibe you want your home to have? God creates Adam and Eve, before he creates that though, you know what he creates for them? A home. He creates a garden and then puts them there. And he puts in the garden trees and fruit. He creates something lush and beautiful for them to live in. God wants your home environment to be something that can actually bring him honor and glory and it's conducive to allowing him to move and speak. You know, as a church, every church home has a culture too. If you've ever gone to any other churches, sometimes you walk into a church and you're like, this place is awesome. Sometimes you walk into a church and you're like, your carpet's still red and your chairs are green and this place smells. <laughs> Every church has a culture. 
And at our church, we're trying to create a culture where people that are far from Christ feel like they're loved and welcome. But a place where people that are close to Christ feel like they're still growing and they still have a place. As a church, we're, we know that there's value statements that are going to help create the culture that we're building around here. And I don't want them to just be things that we've, again, that we've just thought up. So we went to Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. And I'm not going to read all this, but all the statements that we're going to be saying in the next few weeks all come from those six verses. We want our church to feel like that early church that just was generous. They gave. They were there for each other. They met regularly. That's the culture that we're trying to create. Number three. You need a vision for your relationships. Scripture talks a lot about relationships. Scripture talks a lot about how husbands and wives should interact. Scripture talks a lot about how kids should honor and their parents, but also how parents should treat their children. God gives vision in his word for friendships, for singleness. He gives us he gives us ideas of who we should or should not be dating. Ladies, you're dating a bunch of bums because you're not looking at God's vision. I mean, that's the truth. Does this guy line up with the things of scripture? No, I've had so many times when I've sat in somebody with a, their, their premarital stuff and they'll be sitting with me and the woman will say, I go, tell me about your, your faith life. Well, and the guy's like, well, I don't know. I kind of don't have one. And she's like, but I love him. He's so amazing. No, he's not. He doesn't love Jesus. He doesn't. And you're not going to magically win him over. Let him fall in love with Christ. And then if that, but don't think that you're his savior. Jesus is. That's not your job. God has a vision for that in his word. God has a vision about mentorship. It says in the multitude of wise counsel, there's safety. God's vision for friendships is iron sharpens iron. Talks about a brother being born for adversity. All of this stuff is in scripture. All of these things about relationship. Here's kind of a filter verse that you could use. First, Thess First Thessalonians 5.11. It says, encourage one another, one another, and build each other up. Just as in fact you are doing. A friend builds people up. A friend encourages each other. So first off, what you have to ask yourself is, am I that kind of friend? So before you go judging your other friends and your other relationships, you got to go to yourself first. Am I someone that people would want to have relationship with? Am I loving? Am I encouraging? Am I building other people up? And then you got to take just a, a viewpoint of those around you. Now, there's some people that you are in a relationship with, a husband or a spouse, and you need to stick it out and just work through it as much as you can. There's some situations that God may need to change those things. But others, you've chosen friends. And you need to say, is this a friend that's building me up and encouraging me? Or is this a friend that likes to gossip? And maybe I need to just figure out a different way for have a relationship with them. Some of you guys have, like, I know I've been in a place before where God's trying to lead me into something new. But I've got friends that are continually dragging me back. And I have to say, you know what? I'm more excited about where God's leading me than where you're pulling me. And that may mean redefining relationships sometimes. So this week, here's what I want you to do challenge-wise. Make a list of some of the closest people in your life or some people you would like to know more and pray over them. Pray over each individual name this week.
Last one is this. You need a vision for your finances. God says a lot in his word, a lot in scripture about financial management. He says things about the way that we use money. He teaches us to save, to spend, to give. I think we have so many financial problems because we don't actually go to God's word. We don't have God's vision for finances. Some of us, we work so hard to make the money, to fill the bag, and the bag's got a hole in the bottom. We just keep losing it because we don't have any strategy or plan for what to do with those finances. It's why you see athletes make millions of dollars and then they, their, their career comes to an end and all of a sudden, like within years, they're broke. They had no financial management plan. God gives us all kinds of things in scripture of the ways that we should handle money. One of the most important ones though is just understand that money should not rule us. Matthew 6, 24 says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. Here's how you know if you're serving money all the time. Is it always on your mind? Are you consistently thinking about and stressed out about money? Somehow that's got to change if that's the truth. Some of y'all, you just need to make a budget. Budget doesn't mean you're broke. Some, somewhere along the way, some, some people have hijacked, I, I've got a budget. Budget doesn't mean you're broke. Budget means that you've told all of your money, here's where you're going to go because this is what God wants me to do with it. As a church, one of the first things when I came on here, I'm like, okay, we need to make our budget strong as a church. We, need, we may have to make some hard decisions and change some things, but I am very much a leader who wants to take your stewardship and to manage it well. So we run off a budget at the church. We're not going to spend more than you guys give. That's why I always say you guys are the pace setters. You're the ones, your giving sets the pace for what we're going to do. We run off percentages. So we know, hey, we've got the percentages that when you guys give, we're going to do the things that we're going to pay our bills. We're going to make sure ministry happens. We're going to make sure the staff is cared for. And we're going to make sure that outreach and missions are an emphasis of things that we do. So when you give, we've got a plan. Because how dare I teach you guys about financial management and us lead the church without having any? Because I believe one day somebody's going to write that check. You know, that church changing check. And if we don't have a plan for what to do with it, why would God allow and ask somebody to do that for us? We've already got God's vision and his plan of what we would do with that. So this week... Here's my, my strategy for always for financial stewardship and your step to take. Take an extra step towards generosity. If you've never given to your church, start there. If you're like, I, I believe this is a healthy place to give, but I'm not gonna beg you to do that. Just take an extra step of generosity. If you need to do it somewhere else, whatever. Honor Christ by being generous. That's my desire for all of us. If you've never had a budget and you don't even know where to start, I'm out in the lobby. Come talk to me. I can point you towards some resources. But you need a plan for your finances. I know a lot of this has been different. Usually we're line by line. Let's go to a scripture and teach it. Today's a little bit more practical, topical type stuff. But I want to end with God's vision for you, for us. Because God has a plan and a vision for us. 2 Peter 3.9 says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understood slowness. Instead, he's patient with you. He doesn't want anyone to perish, 
the, everyone to come to repentance. His vision is to spend eternity with us, guys. That's that long term. He doesn't want anyone to perish. But then he took the practical steps of coming to this earth, dying on a cross for our sins, raising, showing that he has defeated death because he took the practical for God so loved the world that he came. And if we believe in Jesus, none should perish, but we have life forever. So if all you hear today is this, lean into this vision for your life. Submit and surrender to God. Ask for his forgiveness. Repent and turn towards Jesus. I don't care if you do any of these other things. If you're not there with Jesus, start there. He has a much better plan than you trying to do life on your own, than you trying to make your own way. His plan is that none should perish but have eternal life. That's his ultimate vision. So that's the main thing I want to invite you into today.